This is Around the Rim with LaChina Robinson. Hello, basketball fans. Welcome, welcome, welcome to your favorite women's basketball podcast, your favorite ESPNW women's basketball podcast. We're the only one. So actually, there's no problem there. <laughs> it's Around the Rim. I'm your host, LaChina Robinson, joined by my fantastic and fabulous producer, Tarika Foster-Brasby. And welcome to our Black History Month podcast. Can we get some applause back we there, We absolutely can. And I'm going to throw some shade after the applause. Oh, gosh. What did I do now? I just want to say that the last time we recorded a podcast, unfortunately, I was not present because my daughter had to stay home from school because we had a blizzard. And I want everyone to know that my fabulous host, LaChina, opened up Black History Month talking crap because I was not present. So I really need you to clean this up, this particular podcast. I need you to close Black History Month with a bang. Because you started off real raw. I'm sorry, Tarika. <laughs> it's only right that I misbehave when you're not here. You know, I mean, I got to get my digs in when I can. It's all good. So you boss me around all the time. So the one time you're not here, yeah, exactly. You me and Kyrie <laughs> acted up. Okay? That's how it happened. So I'm sorry. And we did miss you. We always miss you when you're gone. Awesome. We always miss you when you're gone. Um, in celebration of Black History Month, which is wrapping up, um, which is totally black history of Tarika and I to be sliding in at the <laughs> final moment. But uh, a couple things. Uh, first and foremost, we're not going to talk a lot of basketball on this podcast. Uh, we'll get back with that end of things next week as we pipe up for conference tournaments. But we do want to send our well wishes to see Vivian Stringer, who has announced that she will miss the rest of the regular season. Um, she'll be away from her Rutgers women's basketball team dealing with exhaustion. Um, so we want to send our best to Coach Stringer. And with that, we are going to be re-releasing a podcast where we were honoring Coach Stringer for her 1,000th win, um, just in celebration of Black History Month. So, um, Coach Stringer, we're with you, and we hope you feel better. And then also, Gino Oriema will miss his second game with an illness, and we want to send well wishes to Coach Oriema. Um, feeling under the weather, so Chris Daly, who I think is undefeated when she has to take over when Gino's out, uh, take over the helm for the for UConn women's basketball. So anyway, um, wanted to just get that piece in. Again, conference tournament starting up next week. But for this Black History podcast, we are honoring black women coaching men's basketball. Very rare for women to be coaching men, period, but definitely for two women of color. So today we will have on the show Anisha Curry, who's an assistant coach for Maine Men's Basketball. She is the only full-time female assistant coach in Division One Men's Basketball. I'm so used to saying women's Division One Men's Basketball right now. And then we also have Chastity Melvin, who is an assistant coach for the Greensboro Swarm. And that is the G League team of the Charlotte Hornets. So we're going to talk to those two women about their journeys, about opportunities for women in color, for women in general, some of the differences. Great conversation. We appreciate both of them. So uh, with that, let's swing right on into Black History Month. All right, basketball fans. Well, we promised you that um, we were going to celebrate Black History Month along with everyone else. Tariq and I obviously are very passionate about our black history and what it means to us and what it's meant to the game of basketball and to sport in general. And so 
Um, we do have two rock stars on the podcast, and right now we are getting ready to have a conversation with Ednisha Curry, who is an assistant coach for Maine Men's Basketball. Welcome to the show, Ednisha. Thank you. Thank you very much. Now, you realize that I said men's in that way because I was trying to put emphasis on that um, because you are making a little bit of history right now. Well, significant history um, as you are the only woman currently serving as a full time assistant coach in NCAA Division One's men's basketball. Congratulations to you. Thank you very much. Really appreciate that. I wish it wasn't such a, a big deal, right? Like, I wish that. This was something that happened more often. We actually had um, a podcast uh, recently with Tara Vanderveer. Yep. That's who it was. And we were talking about the numbers and the percentages of opportunities available to women in coaching on the women's side and then women coaching on the men's side. And at the end of the day, there just aren't enough women in coaching. But tell us about how this opportunity with um, the Maine's men's basketball team came along for you. Honestly, it, it you know it was built upon a relationship that I had currently had had with Coach Richard Barron, um, serving as his player development and scout assistant um, for the Maine women's basketball program. And when Coach Barron took a leave in a- absence for health, I decided to walk away from women's basketball. It was had been something that was tugging at my heart. Um, whether I even wanted to continue coaching um, college basketball. And I always felt like there was a greater purpose for me to serve, and I didn't quite know what it was. So in my time, you know, I spent a lot of time in prayer and continuing to study the game. And that's when I started um, reaching out to the NBA, and I got into the NBA assistant coaches program. And when I got in a program, I felt at home. I felt like my purpose was to be a men's basketball coach. And that's kind of how my journey started. And when Coach Barron got hired um, here at Maine, I congratulated him through a text. And the next day he offered me a job. And that's how I'm here. (laughs) And so that came along with kind of what you had already been feeling. And I'm curious about that because um, you have a great history and and with women's basketball, I mean, both as a player, you started at Cal State Northridge. Um, then you went on to Oregon. You played pro in the WNBA. You played pro overseas. So what it went into the decision of thinking um, that you were just kind of done with the women's side of things? Um, it wasn't, you know, I always t- try to tell people it's not like about women and men and me coaching women and men, I just felt like with my skill set, I wanted to be in a position to impact um, more people and empower more people. And that's what I see this position here at um, being an assistant coach for the University of Maine. I mean, it's, it's been awesome for me, but the best thing about it is all the emails, the letters, um, the texts that I receive from young girls all around the world now telling me they have the courage because they see me on this platform. And when I think about what I was feeling when I was trying to decide, should I just walk away from coaching? What part of coaching do I want to be in? It's come full circle to, I think that this is where I was supposed to be 
at the beginning and I just didn't start here, but I'm right where I belong and where I needed to be, to be that impact, to empower more young girls and women that want the opportunities outside of the box. And we have seen, no, thank you for those comments because it's interesting. We had a podcast called Basketball is Basketball and Tariq and I go back and forth all the time about the debate of, you know, so our podcast was focused on Steph Curry inviting girls to his select camp, right? So we're like, hey, basketball is basketball. Girls and, and boys should be able to play together. But then we have those moments where we're like, okay, but this is women's basketball. And there are some specific um, challenges and, and differences, even in terms of the rules of the two games. So we, we kind of go back and forth because you want that acceptance. But at the same time, basketball is basketball. So thank you for those comments because we're, we're continuing to have that dialogue. But you know, you mentioned two women, um, Bernadette Maddox and Stephanie Reddy, that had gone before you um, in, in coaching men. What role did what they've done or maybe other women who have, have coached men's basketball had on kind of your journey and where you are at this very moment? Well, Coach Maddox and Stephanie Reddy have been unbelievable um, to me um, in this journey. Um, they've become like mentors. I can just remember the first week at office when I was in the office and we were having a coaches meeting and the phone, the coaches um, phone rang in the office and our director of operations, um, Jason Coleman answered the phone and we were in the middle of the meeting. He was like, yes, she's here. And he said, hold on. And we're in the meeting on coach in the middle of a coaches meeting. He's like, he asked coach Barron, coach Barron, it's Coach Maddox for Coach Eddie. <laughs> and it was so and and he was like, and my and Coach Barron has been awesome um in supporting me. He was like, Oh yeah, shoot, she can take that call. Tell her we all said hi. So here I am, you know, my first week in office, I get this wonderful, just heartfelt message of support, you know, from the woman who started all in Coach Maddox and um it's been unbelievable and um Stephanie um has been just very dear to me and helping me understand the business side of this, you know, when it comes to agents and things like that and things that I have to prepare um, on and off the court as far, as far as just continuing to build my brand on a personal standpoint and the coaching side. So having their leadership and their guidance has made this year just unbelievably and unbelievable and has run so smooth because of that leadership they, they've given to me in my life. Yeah, I was actually with Stephanie Reddy not too long ago um, and, you know, had an opportunity to talk to her. I mean, she's the first female coach of a men's professional league and um, in a men's professional league. And, um, you know, we're going to have Chastity Melvin on this as well. And then Bernadette Maddox and her experience at Kentucky uh, but I am curious, even though we say, okay, basketball is basketball, do you notice either fundamental differences, skill differences? I mean, we know that men just biologically, physiologically are bigger, stronger, faster, all of that. But what else do you see as differences of coaching men and women, if you see any at all? And like even, uh, you know, even from a development standpoint, like what are you seeing um, on the girls versus boys? Cause I know you've done youth as well or men versus women. You know what? I think it's the maturation process. Um, 
that is a difference from boys to girls, you know, girls to boys, um, women to men and vice versa. You know, women and young girls, we tend to mature a little um, younger Mm -hmm. than um, guys do. So that's the mental aspect and the mental development and focus. Um, That's an area that I find find different as far as coaching um, both sides. But like I tell everybody, you know, I got I got a moody I got a moody player, I got a, a a player that you know got to humble him with the ego. I got a player that lacks confidence. You know, I got a player that has it all. I got the, the coach. You know, the coach is favored. Where you know everybody's like, why can't everybody be like that guy? <laughs> and you, you have the the one the one guy on the team that has all the talent, and you see it in practice. And you're, like, excited when you go in the office. You're like, see, that's what. And then he comes in the game, and you're like, oh, my God, what is going on? So those same feelings that I felt um, on the women's side, coaching women's players, are the same people that I get an opportunity to grow and coach on the men's side. Mm-hmm. Um, and my, I'm very blessed that, you know, I've gotten an opportunity to coach in the NBA and be a part of the NBA assistant coaching program and have a pro background. Um, as a player and coach, it has really made my transition very easy in gaining the respect, um, the trust, and building relationships with, you know, all the players that um, that currently play for the University of Maine. Yeah, tell me about that experience um, of coaching in the NBA assistant coaches program. What's that about? How would you get into it? Tell us a little bit about it. I literally um, received an email from Rusha Brown, and Rusha was like, I think you would love this program. And I was like, okay, what, it is, what is it? Rusha is just great connector of all great things in life. Yes. So I literally just signed up for it. I put in my resume and, you know, did all that. And I was like, okay. And I kind of forgot about it. I was like, oh, no one's going to pick me. You know, you know, you just – putting all these resumes and hoping for an opportunity. And um, Jabari from the NBA called me and said, hey, you're in the program. And I was, at that time, I was still finishing my second season with the University of Maine women's basketball program. Mm -hmm. I was in playoffs when I got, um, received um, the email that said I made it into the summer program for um, the NBA assistant coaches program. So I already was, you know, kind of transitioning myself um, and building myself. Cause I, when I first signed up for the program, it was like, Oh, an opportunity to learn the game and be around um, elite mindsets of the game. And I was like, this will make me a better coach, you know, for whoever I get an opportunity um, to work for. And from that, I got in the program and, I just was like fell in love with it and the support of the NBA and my other NBA mentors. And I kind of just started moving ahead of people really fast with all of my background um, in coaching both states and internationally. And what was the most impactful part of the NBA assistant coaches program in your opinion? Um, Just the respect, this respect level of um, the coaches um, the organizations and the players, you know, it, it's kind of cool, you know, when 
you know, you have a former NBA player, you know, that'll call me and say, hey, sis, hey, can you help me with this scouting report? Or, hey, you know, can you help me edit this video or learn this technology? So it's a great program because it brings both men and women, um, former players in the WNBA and NBA that have a passion for coaching, but it also um, sets us up as like I'm a mentor now in the program, and it sets me sets me up with other former players, both women and men, that I can mentee and help them through this process. Um, and, you know, we gain a, a relationship and a trust and a bond. And it's like if we go on to be head coaches, you know, we have a pool of people that we've been working with and building, you know, our coaching brand together with from the ground up, which is a great opportunity for coaches to have um, trustworthy assistant coaches that they've already built this relationship with. Mm. And we both know, I was actually just on Twitter commenting that black women in particular are often left out of the circles of, um, of opportunity because we're not always or not consistently invited to those conversations, to those networks in places where, um, you know, we can earn trust, which eventually leads to hiring and other opportunities, but also where we can kind of change the conversation around black women in general, right? Um, You know, how we don't control our own images, but we also don't get the opportunity to change the perception of, of black women, which is, which is challenging. What part of that? I mean, it's Black History Month and and we've talked about, you know, some of the women that have gone before you. And, you know, I was just we're looking at, you know, obviously see Vivian Stringer, who holds the bar for women's coaches, women, African-American coaches on that side of things. But also Carolyn Peck and Don Staley and what, you know, so many have gone on to do. But what are some of the challenges that you think the next generation of women that are coming along, those that are contacting you, those that are playing college basketball or WNBA right now that want to coach, what are some of the challenges that um, they have to be ready to overcome? I think the, the greatest challenge is rejection and not being defeated. Um, and I always tell people throughout my story, um, it took me a while I mean, years and years to um, get an opportunity to prove myself as a coach. Um, And everyone would say, you know, you should quit. You you know, you should go do this. You should go do that. You know, you have your master's. It was so many people telling me to go in a different direction. And when you are a professional athlete or you're going through this process of coaching, especially a woman of color, it is not that many opportunities for us. It just isn't. Um, and that's sad that we're still saying that in this day and age, but that's the reality of it. So you're going to have to be creative. Um, you're going to have to have um, a level of patience, um, perseverance, and determination um, to defeat these obstacles that you're going to face because you're going to get more no's. You know, um, when I tell people, my story, when I look back, this is five years that you guys see of success. Mm -hmm. I'm only, this is my third year technically as a collegiate coach, two years on the women's side and one year as a men's coach. Now we're ending our season now. So 
you're seeing three years of success, but you're not seeing 12 years of rejection and pain where I had to just take jobs and opportunity to work on my craft Mm -hmm. and to continue to believe in myself. That's hard, especially when you're a professional athlete coming from the ranks of the WNBA and and an elite, you know, college athlete. It's hard to be so high up your whole life. And then when you get to where you want to do something, especially with coaching, you're not good anymore. And you have to fight the doubt in everything that you're going to hear to continue to push forward because this, I will be not telling the truth. I would be a liar if I told anybody that this is easy. This is not easy. And you have to be truly passionate about your purpose and what you want to do to be a woman of color and to fight to be a coach. That's just the reality of it. Wow. That's really, 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 really powerful. Um, A couple more questions for you. You know, I was reading in an article that Cecilia Towns wrote on ESPNW, which was fantastic (laughs) about your career and so on. And um, you talked a little bit about not fitting into the mold, but then you also just mentioned, and I'm trying to pull the quote up here and make sure I have it exactly correct. Hold on one second. Tariqa, you can cut this out because I'm trying to find this quote. Um, got it. So to the point that you were just making, you said before Coach Barron gave me a yes, I pretty much had 14 years of no's, unfortunately. I got a lot of rejection on the women's side of the game. I was told I couldn't coach, that I didn't have the right coaching style, the right look, the right social media presence. What was that part about? Like that really stood out to me that number one, you were told you couldn't coach, but that your coaching style and your look and your social media presence, like what was the expectation there? And what did you eventually take away from that? I was always going to be at Nisha no matter what. And I accepted that throughout my path Um, because when I started, Everyone said, everyone gave me their outline of what success was supposed to be for me. Mm-hmm. Well, if you want to coach here, this is what you have to do. If you want to coach here or you want to be in this circle, you have to do this, this, this. And I never accepted that. And it was okay if I didn't get yeses early because I was going to be my authentic self. Mm -hmm. I don't feel like you should give all of you to someone without giving to yourself. And I think sometimes, a lot of times in coaching, especially with assistant coaches, a lot of assistant coaches have trouble um, with this and balancing the act of serving a head, a head coach and not making your head coach insecure and things like this and having a voice still. Um, because as an assistant coach, you are the, the silent assassins on staff. Mm-hmm. Um, and some head coaches allow, you know, um, their assistant coaches to have their own social media and, and, and let them be them. And some don't, some 
prefer that their social media be all about them, their head coach. Mm -hmm. Like everything is geared towards them. And I don't think that that's healthy, you know, because we should all be serving each other for one common goal. You know, when you look at my current social media, it I cannot ever be Coach Barron, and he can never be at Nisha Curry. But my messaging and everything that is on my social media, whether it's family, friends, or just my personal messaging of what I believe in in life and in the world, are the same messaging that is a part of the University of Maine's culture and what Coach Barron believes in. So it it, it wasn't anything for me to just be myself. He hired me for that. He didn't hire me to change me for me to act or look or think or or be this certain way. He hired me just to be at Nisha Curry and bring those qualities to the main men's basketball program. And I think, and, I, and I'm happy for that. And I took, in Latina, when I'm telling you, I took a sacrifice <laughs> accepting all of those no's <laughs> because I wanted to be me. I wanted to wake up every day and be happy. You know, I didn't want to pretend to be happy in a job to make someone else happy. Mm. And I'm I'm very blessed that it, you know, that having that faith and that prayer and that support system from my own father um, and family has guided me to 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 live that way. And I wake up every day and I'm like, I can be me. I can serve my head coach. I can serve this university and I can be impactful without feeling like I have to hide who I am, hide my beliefs, hide anything for fear of I might lose my job or for fear of what other people may think of me, because that really doesn't matter to me. And, and, and that attitude probably is a reason why I had a lot of no's, but I'm I'm happy about it because I'm me, you know, and, and I'm not faking it. I'm not going to work faking it and then coming home being something else. I'm me. I'm authentically me. And this journey has been special because of that. Yeah, they always say once you figure out who you are, you figure out your place in the world. And it takes a lot of courage. Amen. To say, listen, <laughs> this is who I am. This is what I'm about. If you don't like it, fine. <laughs> you know, if you do. Hey, maybe there's an opportunity, but just not selling yourself short. And just want to thank you for for everything you're doing. I know that you have worked hard and in the trenches, you know, your work internationally with Junior NBA. And, you know, I know you've done some 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 work with Nike and pre-draft stuff. And you've been in China and Vietnam and Israel and Palestine. I mean, all over the world taking your love for the game. So you've had a great journey from being a player to where you are. But it's people like you and and Jenny Busek and and Christy Tolliver now and, um, you know, all the women, Becky Hammond, absolutely, who are coaching, you know, and that's on the NBA side, but are, are coaching men, you know, because you're giving another young girl a dream of what she can do. And in particular for you, as a black woman with all the challenges that you face. So thank you so much for your time and girl, you just dropped some gems on here. We appreciate it. And um, yeah, let us, Hey, we're going to have you back on the show because we want to dig more into one thing we've been trying to do in the summer is do more AU. And I know you do youth development work. 
So I would love for you to talk about what's going right and wrong in youth development. But we'll save that for next time. Um, yeah, that'll but, be a good one. <laughs> but for now, thank you so much and um happy Black History Month. Thank you. Have a great day. All right, basketball fans, um continuing our celebration of Black History Month in basketball and sport, we are highlighting some women, African American women, who are coaching men's basketball. And right now we are having a repeat guest on our show. Um, she was hired by the Charlotte Hornets G League team, the Greensboro Swarm, as an assistant coach. She becomes the first, or she became the first female coach in Hornets and Swarm history. Uh, before that, she was a North Carolina State standout and was the 11th overall selection in the 1999 WNBA draft. She played 12 seasons in the WNBA, was an all-star in the league, um, please join me in welcoming back to the show, Chastity Melvin. Welcome, Chastity. Thanks, China. Thanks for having me on. Excited to be here. Let's chat it up. Oh, let's <laughs> chat it up. You've been busy, 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 busy. Let's start with All-Star because I kind of feel like with – it was my first NBA All-Star, which I had a blast. Um, but I kind of feel like you were the mayor of Charlotte. Like you – every time I turned around and looked at the schedule – your name was somewhere speaking. You were on a panel. You were doing all kinds of stuff. Keep in mind, you're still in your season, right? You had just had your last game, which you and I talked, and you had you you were doing the scout, I think, for that game. Um, yeah. So there was a lot going on. But how was NBA All Star on your end, and, and in particular, what did you feel around the synergy and energy of women, whether it's WNBA or college? But like, what did you feel? Um, for women that are involved in, in basketball during that weekend? Well, the actually, the All-Star weekend was great for me. It was nice to be in North Carolina at an NBA All-Star game. And actually, this year was my first time attending an actual NBA All-Star game. So that was a first for me. And um, it was great for my family and I. And there was a nice honor by the National Basketball Wives Association. They gave, they honored me as one um, for Black History Month as well. And I was going to get to that. You, now yeah, you hosting. Uh, you do now. You doing my oh, job? No, okay, so we'll wait. <laughs> I'm definitely not trying to. No, so got, but congratulations got, on that. Right no, <laughs> that later. But uh, let me answer your question. Okay, <laughs> no, you're the fine. The energy around women, um, just the women's empowerment, was just really inspiring. I mean, I think it's the most women that I've, you know. Or maybe you just kind of noticed it because it felt like women were really engaging with each other and just trying to find out more about um, try to find out more about getting tips on this road to success and just asking a lot of information and really supporting not just myself but other WNBA players that were at events. There were a lot of women in attendance, and um, so that speaks volumes. And that's just you know I guess it goes with the current time in the states now and just. Uh, with the media giving so much more attention to what women are doing in sports, not only in sports, but also in business, and just trying to encourage women to, you know, keep striving and, and get these positions in male-dominated society. So that was great. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I'm i I'm right there with you, and I asked that question because, again, it was my first one, but there were so many first events, it seemed like, for women. Like, I hosted a Women in, in Basketball Operations Forum for the NBA, which was put on by an awesome committee of women that looked at, hey, where are the opportunities in coaching and, you know, GM positions. And obviously Kelly Crosskoff was there and so many other women who 
um, you know, are working on the operation side of, of the NBA. But it just seemed like every time I turned around, there was like some kind of women's event. I'm like, this is great because people think of NBA as, oh, it's men's basketball. But because we're a women's basketball podcast, uh, <laughs> we definitely wanted to touch on that. But um, I'm going to come back to what you spoke on at the at the Wives Association event. But first and foremost, tell us how you fell into this coaching opportunity um, I didn't even realize until you were named assistant coach for the Swarm that you were trying to coach. I think I told you this like a while back, but you know, we just talked to Anisha Curry and she was, you know, just spitting facts on how hard that journey can be when you come from being a high profile player to trying to find that next step in life. So how did you end up um, eventually with the Swarm? Well, you know, like my first love is obviously you know, doing podcasts and television, analyst work for commentating games. That's always been my first passion, but that was just as hard to get in for me as well as coaching after I retire. Um, so it's a big hobby of mine. I do the podcast, but I got in, I, I, I was invited to apply for the NBA assistant coaches program. And when I had that opportunity and I basically did it for like four to six months, when I first had the opportunity to coach the guys, I just felt different. It was very similar to when I first had my played my first basketball game at 11 years old. It's just something in me was sparked. I don't know if it was my competitive drive or what it was, but I just felt this spark, and I was like, "Wow! Like I want to like this feels good. This is, feels where I belong." So um, I kind of just finished the program, and um, I was able to coach at the NBA Draft Combine, the Portsmouth Invitational. So I was in a lot I was put in a lot of opportunities where I was coaching the only female with a lot of the former NBA players. So that gave me a great opportunity and that also gave me the confidence, you know, everyone talks about see it, believe it, achieve it. And that gave me an opportunity to actually see it and really believe in myself. And um after that it was just like that was a goal. Like, oh okay. Maybe this is why I haven't gotten the job coaching in college because I have been applying just like Anisha for jobs in colleges and talking to them. And a lot of people didn't know that I actually worked for the KL Cancer Fund nonprofit at the time. People were like, why aren't you coaching? You know, that that was a lot of pressure on me, especially back in North Carolina. People kept asking that question. And I'm not just one to talk about or give excuses or be like, why or why not or tell my story. You know, I just said this is where I am right now. But it was just because I was getting those. And, you know, life doesn't – People feel like once you play a professional sport, you're good for the rest of your life. Like, everybody's not LeBron James. Everybody's not close to being a billionaire. Like, life doesn't stop. Bills don't stop. You got to work, you know, at yeah. the end of the day, especially for female athletes. So my mom told me I had to get a job, and that's what I did. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's right. Mom is like, well, so, hold up. But then, I yeah, so then um, the program is great because they place two former players um, – they coincide with the G League. They place two former players on the team, but it's up to the team to hire a player. So I was in a pool of about five or six former NBA guys that interviewed for the Greensboro Swarm job. So mm. I like to say I knocked out my interview, and that's why Coach Joe Wolf hired me. And oh, that's right. Here I am. That is <laughs> awesome. I, I love that. Yeah. I love that. Well, and I think one thing I'm passionate about is that We've got to find a pipeline for, and I know like the Women's Sports Foundation starting the the this grant in the name of Tar Vanderveer, which is going to help women in in the coaching pipeline. But there's got to be something for former professional women's players that want to coach. You know, former WNBA players or you know whatever the 
they narrow that group to be, but it, it should not be as hard as it is, in my opinion, for former WNBA players to coach in college. Um, it just shouldn't, um, especially on the women's side. And I understand that the criteria is usually, oh, you got to have this many years of coaching. You got to, but, but basketball should count as experience. And not to say that you don't yeah. have to learn compliance and all the other things that come along with it. Like there's a lot more to it, the recruiting and all of that. Yeah. But still, like your playing should count for something. And, and I think we have to reward the women that have carried the game on the professional side with having a place for them and having a pipeline for them to give back to the game. And, you know, I'm, I'm happy to see people like Tina Thompson getting opportunities. Like, I mean, they're Charlotte Smith, you know, Dawn Staley. Like, I mean, they're, they're some of our best coaches in the game. And so, um, you know, that, that's something that I'm glad you spoke on and that Nisha spoke on. So hopefully we can start to move the needle. So how has it been? How, how have you been received coaching men's professional basketball? Well, first I want to start this off by saying that um, I love this, this era and this, you know, and movement and women trying to, you know, secure more positions in male-dominated societies. And I just want to say, like, every woman is not made or built to have a position coaching men or have a position, you know, in business in a male-dominated area. Like, it's not for everyone. I just want to go ahead and say that for people mm-hmm. out there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um well, why do you and say that? Why is it not for everyone? I just, I, and, and I'll say this too, it's not, the, it's the same for like men. It's not, all men can't coach women. Like, mm-hmm. it's just like being being around women and being in like a, a, a female dominated arena. It's not, it, it won't coincide with some men. Because you're and saying that there's a, a difference. Because there is a difference. Okay. There's a difference. And um, some men can't handle it. And I feel like some men can't handle it being around a lot of women and coaching in that environment. I don't know on the business side, too. But I just say, like, just because we're making these strides, I don't want women to think like it's just so easy. Like, there are some things that you will have to sacrifice and some things that you will have to kind of, you know, look over mm-hmm. to to stay in male-dominated arenas and most of it is just like politeness and things like, like guys are guys. Like you're working with men, you're coaching men, they're guys, you know, at the end of the day. And I don't try to change guys, but at the same time, some women will be like, oh, that was so gross what he just did. And I have to see what's so gross about 25 times a day. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so, so like some women wouldn't like that, you know? And right. that's why I say that, you know, some women be like, oh, no, nah, I cannot deal with this every day, you know. Yeah. So uh, that's why I say that. But, like, the most challenging thing for me is just when to use my voice and when not to use my voice. I think that's been the most challenging. Uh, with the coaching staff and just being with the men. And it's easy for people to say, oh, you should just be dominant. You should be like the guys. But at the same time, in basketball, and I treat this like when I play professional with the women, I think it's the same thing. There's a certain sense of, like, you know, there's the guys and there's the team and there's, you know, their space in the locker room and their space when they're doing things on the court. And they're just like certain boundaries. And I don't say it is just because they're men. I also felt that way when I played as a professional, but then there's a little difference when I'm coaching men and I'm on the, I'm the only female. There are some boundaries that I feel like, okay, let me just give them that space right there because they're, it's kind of like the boys are just being boys. And I'm not saying that in a negative way. I, I've never 
had any problems with being disrespected or um, um, anything with like, you know, sexual connotations or anything like vulgar or anything like that from my group. Um, mm-hmm. I'm just saying in general, just boys being boys, you know, so I think that, you know, that's challenging just when to, you know, be a part of the group, not be a part of the group, when to use my voice, when not to use my voice. Yeah. And I like what you said about um, when you were in Charlotte, you just talked about how you feel like your voice is received differently. Talk about that, like how that has been being a woman in that situation you've seen as as an advantage at some times. Well, I just think it's an advantage mainly. And I mean, it's unfortunate to say, but we're talking about Black History Month and we're just talking about how far black uh, Americans have, have come. But um, also, uh, black Americans, as far as the family goes, has a lot of more strides to go. Like, women are basically raising their kids by their, there are a lot of single African-American women raising young boys. And so mm-hmm. these guys aren't familiar with use, hearing a constant man's voice in their life. And obviously that is not being stereotypical. And I don't have statistics to prove it, but you can just kind of look down the line. I mean, like, was he raised with his father? Was he raised with his mother by himself? And so... They're used to hearing their mother's voice, and that's what I sound like to most of the African-American guys I'm coaching. Like, yeah, they probably don't like what I say, but at the same time, it's a voice that is very familiar to them, especially when it's like, especially when it involves criticism. And that's just how I feel. I haven't done statistics on it. It's just... But that's what we want. We want you to speak from yeah. your experience, Chastity. Yeah, from my experience. Exactly. But, I, but, I, but also, trying to, I equate that as well with women basketball players have a hard time hearing from African-American women sometimes when it involves criticism, but an African-American male or even a white a Caucasian male can say something and they'll be more receptive to it because they're being raised by single moms and they don't have that. They don't have the father's voice. So women are more like, I'm tired of hearing my mom's voice, but they can handle a male's voice. If that makes sense. So I think is, I think for me, I believe it works both ways. Yeah, that's a very interesting concept. And I've heard a lot of different things about that. And it makes sense because, you know, how you grow up, your experiences, like that all impacts who you are, you know, how you perceive things, how you grow, how you're tested, um, you know, just how you move and mature through life. So and I'm a sociology major, so you definitely don't have to convince me that, you know, the things (laughs) that happen throughout your youth could absolutely have an impact on on how you see things as an adult um i wanted to go back to um the the black history month thing and just how important it is to have african-american women involved on the coaching side um what in your opinion needs to be done to to so that we can have more voices like a vivian stringer or, you know, more black women coaching women. I mean, at the end of the day, and I think at the end, right now the WNBA is at least 75% African-American women or women of color. And college basketball is very high numbers, even though I don't have those. But we don't see the women coaching. What has to happen for, for this to change? I mean, it's the same thing that has to happen for women um, to coach in male-dominated professional sports. And I'm not just talking about basketball, but females coaching in general. Um, getting opportunities with male-dominated sports, there has to be a pipeline. And what I've learned so far, um, being in coaching and coaching the men, and what I've learned and just different stories from not just um, Coach Curry's, but a lot of stories is 
people hire people that they have relationships with. Mm-hmm. And I believe, and this is just me, I feel like African-American women aren't in those spaces and don't have those relationships with athletic directors. Athletic directors are going to reach out to people they know. And I'm not, I don't necessarily, like a lot, some people may feel like it's racism at some point, or some people may just feel whatever the reasons are. But across the board, even working in the nonprofit, I was able to get my job because of someone I knew and I had a relationship with. So um, bottom line, you know, you have African-American women have to attend these coaches' conferences, develop more relationships, and try to, I mean, it's on us. And I know African-American women, some will say, dang, we have to just always take the extra steps and work extra hard. And speaking of Black History Month, it's, I mean, even President Obama said it. Yeah, we made strides, but we still have a long, long way to go. And I think the perception once you have social media and Twitter that, oh, everybody's doing okay. You don't have to work as hard anymore. No, it, it really hasn't changed. You still have to do a little bit extra, a little bit more. But I think it's just relationships. And I think it's ADs and head coaches being comfortable uh, about developing just those relationships across the board. And the same with, like, uh, you know, the NBA, like how you saw at NBA All-Star, having those forums and having those open um, panels where people can, women can actually network with GMs and head coaches and have form a conversation because at the end of the day in coaching, to get a head coaching job or get an assistant coaching job, you want to hire people that you trust and hire people that you have a relationship with and that understand what you're all about. And so I think that's the, that's the big deal when a lot of, uh, like you said, the majority aren't African-Americans coaching women's basketball or men's basketball in general. Um, it's because a lot of coaches or ADs are hiring people that they know and that they have relationships with. And <laughs> you can go down the line. I mean, people used to make fun of me growing up all the time and thank God for my parents, but as diverse and, you know, as they can make me be, they made me, you know, spend time with the other races and not, like, segregate myself. And yeah. so at the same time, I learned how to develop relationships, especially at NC State, coming into a, a majority um, white university, you know, I had to learn how to, you know, develop relationships with them. And so I think that's that's where it's, that's where it starts. Yeah, absolutely. My last piece for you, just because I, I know that there will be young women listening to this podcast that want to be in your space, if they want to coach men, if they've had that same epiphany that you've had, um, just any one piece of advice. And I know that there was something that your dad told you, I want to go back to the National Basketball Wives Association um, in their Women's Empowerment Summit where you were honored um, as a woman who is evolving in business, you along with Deborah Lee, Alicia Butterfield-Jones, um, Courtney, I'm not going to mess up your last name, but I happen to be there. And you were so brilliant in your acceptance speech, but you talked about some advice that your dad had given you. What would you tell a, a young woman? And I'm not trying to make you say what your dad told you, but what <laughs> would you tell, tell a young woman that wants to be in your, your shoes one day? Uh, first, I would just tell any young woman that you have to get up every morning. And this is basically kind of what I said. And a lot of people ask me about it. Um, it's just you have to erase self-doubt. And I think that's the biggest challenge in working in a male-dominated field is erasing self-doubt every day just because of the stereotypes that the world in general has put on women subconsciously. It's going to come every day. And it's something that males don't have to 
ever deal with because subconsciously they're like they rule the world. I mean, they they're they're already in it. They've been in it for a long time. And I I was just nervous when we made it to the final four in 1998, and my dad could sense my nervousness. And this was the uh, probably the most people I've ever, I obviously it was the most people I've ever played in front of. And my dad came up to me and he was like, um, "If not you, then who? And if not now, then when?" And it just relaxed me and it just made me really realize like, yeah, like time. And so I've, I remember my dad's words since that day, as far as when I made graduated from NC state and made it pro and just different challenges, even working at a nonprofit when I really had to learn, I had a learning curve, you know, his first job after playing pro every morning I would get up and I would ask myself the same question. I was like, what if not choosing who, if not now, then when? And I would always look in the mirror and answer the question, the time is now and the who is me. And that's what I tell myself every day, every other day when I'm feeling self-doubt. And that's what I, that's how I answer it. So I'd encourage young girls, they can use that. Anyone can use it. Um, it's not a saying my dad came up with. I'm sure it's, you know. No, they need somewhere. to quote. They need to quote Chastity <laughs> Melvin's dad. Yeah. I, know you yeah. I saw I mean, Gail. I saw Gail trying to get your quote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that, that was my dad's quote, Jimmy Melvin, and he said, Chaz, he's like, if not choosing who, if not now, then when? And then I changed the quote to say, the time is now and the who is me. So, that I, you know, I added that part. And well, that's what every woman should tell themselves. <laughs> the time is now, Chastity. We appreciate your time, and we appreciate everything you're doing, blazing the trail. Congratulations. Now, what, we're, we're, are y'all in first place? Since you're coaching, y'all should be oh. in first place. You know, China, I want to make the playoffs because, I mean, for my head coach just and my coaching staff who has helped me tremendously, they've been such – I've been a part of a great staff, and I feel, feel so blessed with that. So I hope we can make the playoffs, but it's going to get tricky here at the end. We need a couple people to lose, and we need to win. So we'll see. It'll go down to the wire to the very last game. So. Get it done. Get it done, Chastity. <laughs> well, thank you for your thank time. You. Happy Black History Month to you. <laughs> thank you. Thanks for having me. All right, basketball fans, we hope you enjoyed the show. We will be back with our normal Around the Rim podcast next week as we dive into everything happening down the stretch of the regular season into conference tournament. It's so crazy right now. Um, but make sure you're signing on to ESPNW.com, um, staying up with the latest and greatest that's happening in women's college basketball and some WNBA movement as well. Uh, that's it for Tariq and I for this week. Thank you. We will see you next week. Until then, be safe. Thank you for listening to Around the Rim. Check out more podcasts from ESPN on the ESPN app.